Hey there, and welcome to the Sermon Podcast for Timberlake Church in Lynchburg, Virginia. Our mission is to reach, feed, and release people to be the hands and feet of Jesus. You can learn more at our website, TimberlakeUMC.org. We hope you enjoy today's message. Friends, welcome to the last Sunday of our series. It's called Unshakable Faith. For these four weeks, we're talking about how to turn setbacks into comebacks how to deal with the hardships of life. Uh, everybody in this room, everybody online, you've been through something hard in your life. Some of you are going through something hard right now. And so I'm really glad that we can be together to study God's Word and, and encourage each other. I also just want to acknowledge um, lots of new people are coming to be a part of this ministry. A lot of old friends are coming back. It's so good to see you. I love all of you. I love that this church is growing in the spirit and in numbers and in faith. And I'm just, I'm just um, so excited about our future together and what, what God can do in us and through us. Uh, I want to acknowledge, and I try to acknowledge every January, that January is, is kind of a hard time of life for some people. Um, and the weather has something to do with it. Um, it's cold, you know, it's dark. Uh, the time, the, the, the sunset early in the evening makes it, makes it hard. Um, you don't have to have seasonal affective disorder to know what it's like to have the winter blues, Right. Uh, we've all had that. Um, we get through the holidays. I think sometimes there's a high with the holidays and then a bit of a letdown after. Um, so I just want to acknowledge that this can be a hard time. De- depression um, numbers go up. Uh, suicide numbers go up during this time of year. And so if that's you, I want you to know you're not alone. If that's someone you love, uh, reach out to them. And this is the time for us to minister to one another. I want to talk to you today about how you can build the spiritual muscle that we call resilience. Uh, I wanted to talk with you about how we can leverage our faith for toughness and flexibility, about how we can become less like fragile, easily broken eggs and more like tennis balls, which bounce back. I want to encourage you that we can survive the storm of life because God himself walks with us through it. Friends, this matters, and this matters because it is our common human experience to have trials, to have difficulty, to have hardships to have disruptions, and to have disappointments and suffering. Sometimes the setbacks are minor, right? I went to the pharmacy this week, had to stand in line. And I'm like, oh, this is great. You know, I'm getting annoyed. And I'm like, I should have timed this better. And then I'm getting mad at the people behind the counter who are just like doing their best, right? And then I'm like, okay, hang on, time out. I bet, I bet if my church could see me now, they would say, Pastor Brad, a chance to practice what you preach. Have faith in the storm, Pastor Brad. And then I was like, all right, it's not that big a deal, right? I just have to stand there a little bit longer than I wanted to. Uh, sometimes the disruptions are small. Sometimes the disruptions are major, though, right? And there's, there's a violation in a relationship with someone you love, or there's an illness, or there's a death, or there's a loss of a job, or something that is just really setting you back. And I want to notice and acknowledge with you, most of those times we have very little influence over the storm itself. We cannot control what is happening to us. We can only control how we respond to what is happening to us. So I want to think with you this morning about human instinct and how God has created us to respond to the storms. uh, Because when there's pain, when there's suffering, when there's a disruption, our human instinct, our survival instinct kicks in, and that's a good thing. So let's say you fall into icy water, or you're one of those crazy people who voluntarily jumps into icy water this time of year. Um, We have the polar plunge. Anybody ever done the polar plunge? 
No one, one person. Laurel? Yes, way to go. I think there was one person at the first service too. Uh, you're crazy. Uh, <laughs> but I love it. I love it. Um, so do you know the human body has been created by God to, to survive this situation? And something happens to you when you fall into or jump into icy water, uh, something called vasoconstriction. And so all the doctors and pharmacists and nurses, you check me on this, but my understanding of vasoconstriction is your veins tighten down and it pushes the blood into your torso from your limbs so that your, your vital organs are protected, right? Because you can theoretically live without arms and legs, but you can't live without a heart and lungs and these things. So your body is designed to survive that, that crisis, that storm. Now imagine, however, if you got out of the water and you got warmed up again, but your blood failed to move back out into your limbs afterward. That would be bad, right? That would be bad if your body, if you did not respond and change the way you're adapting as the storm moves through your life. Or take your household, for example, and let's say there's a hurricane coming, and when a hurricane comes over your house, what do you do? You hunker down, you hide inside, you board up the windows, you tie down the patio furniture, right? You put batteries in the flashlights and water in the tub just in case, and you go and hide in the basement, and that's good and right. But now let's imagine, let's say the storm passes and the sky is blue and the birds are singing, but you still stay hiding inside in fear. That's not good, is it? That's not a healthy way to live. And so as the storm passes, you know you need to change and adapt in order to meet the situation that is around you. Notice the same thing happens in organizations. The same thing happens in churches. When there's a crisis, when there's a hardship, when there's a change or a transition, when there's an economic recession, or when there's a decline of participation, or when there's a denominational disaffiliation, hello, right? We, we get into survival mode, and we focus in on ourselves, right, as we need to in order to survive. And we talk about us, and we pray for us, and we focus on us. But what happens when the storm passes and things are getting back to normal, but we still stay focused just on us? That's not good, is it? Because then we end up fighting and bickering and carrying on and, and making a big deal out of things that are really small, like the color of the carpet in the room, right? And meanwhile, we miss all these other things that are going on around us and the opportunities that God has for us. What I want you to notice today, friends, is the same thing that happens in your body to survive falling in icy water, the same thing that happens in your household to survive a hurricane, the same thing that happens in a church to survive a change or a transition or a hard time is the same thing that happens in your soul when you experience a spiritual disruption. When you experience an emotional or spiritual hardship in your life, God has instinctively created you to focus inward and resolve what is going on in your life, to focus on yourself. You might even go to the Lord and ask for help, and you're praying, and you're saying, Lord, I need your help from me. I've prayed for other people, Lord, but today I'm praying for myself. I need you to bless me. Or you might go to your life group meeting and say, hey, everybody, I know you probably had something planned, but I need to, to tell you about me today. I need to let you know what's going on in my life. I need you to pray for me. I need you to encourage me because this is the storm that I'm facing. And that's good and right. You focus inward for a moment or for a season in order to endure the storm of life. But what happens when the storm passes and you are still focused in on yourself? What happens when the storm passes and every life group meeting is still always about you and only you and only your story? That's not good, is it? And that's not healthy.
Friends, the temptation is to remain focused on ourselves, to constantly ask, why me? What about me? What about my preference? What about my disappointment? What about my suffering? And when we give into that kind of temptation, we might end up looking something like this. Uh, The great St. Augustine called us navel-gazers. Right, The idea that we become infatuated with our own belly buttons. And that he said this is the essence of sin. And you might call it pride, and sometimes it is. But notice, sometimes this happens out of fear. Out of fear. I'm so afraid of the storm or what the storm might do to me, so I get so focused in on myself, and I can't see anything else going on around me. Uh, in Latin, it's, it's called incurvatus in se. We are curved in on ourselves, focusing only on me, me, me. Notice this, friends. This is a posture of worship, and this is a posture of worship. And what's the difference? The difference is the object of my worship. So I can worship myself, or I can worship the living God. But notice, it's not not both. It's one or the other. Notice when I focus in on myself, I can only see myself. I cannot see the Lord. But when I open up, I'm open to receive, open to give. Now I can also see the needs of my neighbors. Now I can also see what's on the horizon and what blessings are coming for me. And so I want to talk with you today about how we prevent this, how we prevent navel-gazing and a life focused in on ourselves, lived in fear, and instead build Resilience. So let's go to First Corinthians. Excuse me, Second Corinthians, chapter one, and we're going to read. Uh, start with verses three and four. Here we go. Second Corinthians one, verses three and four. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. I love that phrase so much. You think about the names for God. You know, notice there's hundreds or thousands of names for God in the Bible. I love this name for God, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. Friend, do you see how this works? We praise God for his compassion because God is a God of compassion and comfort, and the God who comforts us is the one who says to us now you go and comfort others look at the fourth line down this phrase so that that's a really important phrase in the scripture so that therefore because because you have been comforted now you can go and comfort others and you in fact you have been comforted not only for your own comfort but so that you might be in ministry to your neighbor or to your spouse, or to your parent, or child, or loved one, or friend, or coworker, or whoever it is that God has brought into your life. Friends, I'm confident of this. If you have said yes to the Lord, right now God is putting someone in your life who you may comfort. And when I say that, that may be obvious, and you can think of that person immediately, or maybe it's not clear, and you need to say, Lord, who is it that you're putting in my life so that I can comfort? God comforts you so that you may comfort others. Verse 5. Let's keep going. 2 Corinthians 1, verse 5. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, 
so also our comfort abounds through Christ. Okay, notice, Paul's reminding us, we share in the sufferings of Christ. If you're a follower of Jesus, you willingly suffer for the sake of Jesus. How does Jesus invite you? He says, take up your cross, right? Well, what does the cross represent? It represents the suffering of the world, the pain of the world, the sin of the world. So just as Jesus takes on the pain, the sin, the suffering of the world, he invites you also to take it on. Now, you can't bear the whole sin of the world like Jesus can, but you can bear some of it. And you can take the suffering of your neighbor and you can do something about it to comfort them and to bless them. But notice Paul says not just the sufferings of Christ, but also the comfort that abounds in Christ. We also share in his comfort. He is the God of all comfort. And if you are in Christ, you are sharing in his suffering and in his comfort. And notice our story, the story of our faith is Good Friday, the pain, the terribleness of the crucifixion, but also... The joy and the peace and the liberation of Easter Sunday morning to discover that our Lord is alive even though he died. Verse 6. Verse 6. Let's keep going. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. I want to focus on this phrase for a second, patient endurance. Patient endurance. I love that phrase. I take it, um, this is kind of what we mean, I think, by resilience. Patient endurance. Patient endurance. What does patience mean? Well, patience means we're waiting on God, right? But it's not a, a passive sort of waiting. It's not a just sit back with apathy and let things happen to me kind of waiting. It's an active kind of waiting. It's a productive kind of waiting. It's an anticipatory kind of waiting. We're leaning in to the Lord and to what the Lord has for us with great anticipation to see what unfolds in our life. And when you put patience with endurance, you see that there is a divine power from heaven only from God for you that allows you to walk through life and get through the things that you find the most difficult. And I know you've had this experience when you've been through something in your life so hard, you've said to yourself, I cannot imagine how I'm going to even get through this. I don't even know how I'm going to get through this day or this hour. Friends, this is how, with patient endurance, with the resilience that only Christ can give you to put one foot in front of the other and keep walking through your life knowing that Christ walks with you. Now, if you've experienced that comfort, then you know what it would be to share that comfort with someone else. And notice what Paul says. If we're distressed, meaning the church, then hey, that's comfort for other people. If we're comforted, then hey, that's comfort for other people. What does that tell you? God's going to use whatever experience the church is having to comfort other people, whether that be suffering or whether that be blessing. Whatever it is, God is going to use it, good, bad, or anything else in between. God is going to use it to bless other people in the name of Jesus. That is the purpose of the church, friends. We exist for the salvation and the comfort of the world. Now notice, these two things go together, comfort and salvation, right? Have you noticed the world wants one without the other? They want comfort but not salvation, right? Just, just tell me I'm good enough. Just tell me everything's going to be fine. Well, yes, but notice the way that you get there is by the cross of Jesus. 
Okay, so comfort and salvation go together, and this is the message that has been entrusted to us. This is the key for today to build a spiritual muscle called resilience, and in a word, let me suggest to you, it is service, service. It is the job of the followers of Jesus to serve our neighbors, friends. The best way to be sure your life doesn't collapse in on itself when life is harder than it's ever been is for you to consider the needs of your neighbors. Do you understand this? This is the remedy. This is the preventative measure to make sure you don't look like this all the time. And the way to do that is to look around you, to look upward to God and look around you at the needs of your neighbors and ask, Lord, how can I serve somebody else? Because when you do that, that will keep you by rule, by necessity. It will keep you from collapsing in on yourself like a dying star and being focused on you, you, you all the time. And that will glorify God and it will be a blessing to you. Let's put verse 4 back up there again, can we? God comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. Friends, this is how you get through hard things in life. First, by receiving the comfort of God, and secondly, by sharing that comfort with other people. To receive it and then to share it. That is the rhythm of the comfort of heaven for us. And I want you to notice that in God's economy, the more you give away of something like comfort, the more you actually receive. Right now, you're going to tell me, well, my bank account doesn't work like that. Right, this is different, isn't it? Because this is God's economy. And in God's economy, the more you give away, the more you have. The more you give away, the more you have. Is this not the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000? He took a couple loaves of bread and some fish, multiplied it, fed thousands of people. At the end, there was more bread left over than what he started with. Hello, How does that work? Well, that's the abundance of God's grace, friends. And when you give it away, you get it. And the more you give away, the more you have. You see, when you go through something hard in your life, friends, you have a choice. You can either let it consume you or you can let the comfort of God comfort you. And you can use your pain to bless someone else. You can either sit with your pain and be miserable all the time, or you can let God use your pain to bless someone else. And I'm asking you today, please, don't waste your pain. Don't waste it. You may not have chosen it. It may not be something that God has done to you, but that doesn't mean God can't use it. Don't waste your pain. Think about it. Who do you suppose is the best person to help someone get sober? How about someone who's gotten sober? Who do you think is the best person to help you get through your divorce? How about someone who's been through a divorce and seen life and light on the other side? Pastors are good, right? And counselors are good. And it's good to, to bring professionals in sometimes. But there's no substitute for the companionship of a brother or a sister who walks with you through the hardship of life. There's no substitute for it. And, you know, I've noticed often the people who are most troubled are, are the most comforting because they've been there. And they know what it's like. 
And they've got this reserve of compassion that has been built up by going through one hard thing after another after another that is just oozing out of them. And you might expect them to be bitter and resentful, but instead they're full of life. These are people who have opened themselves to the comfort of God and then just share it. It comes so naturally to them. I'll never forget a Memorial Day weekend when I was 23 years old. My family and I were driving back to Virginia from Indiana for our, we go there every year for a family reunion, Memorial Day weekend. And we got the news that my friend Brandon, who was 19 at the time, he was missing. He had been out on a boat on the Potomac River with some friends for Monday, the holiday, and he had fallen off the boat and they couldn't find him. And so hours and hours go by, and I went over to his, his house, his parents' house, and we prayed and we talked, and we got updates you know, from the rescue crews, and I think it went into the next day, and for hours and for days they searched for him, and finally they found him, and he was dead. He had drowned in the river, and um, we, were, we were crushed because he was young and um, so lovely and we hurt for his parents and for his big sister. And we had the funeral at our family church. It was the church I grew up in, church he grew up in, both of our families had grown up in, and most everybody we knew was part of that church. And so you know, that's what you do when there's a loss, right? You come together. So we came together. Um, and it was hundreds and hundreds of people. And I remember standing in line waiting to talk to his parents. You know how people like do a receiving line? So they're doing the receiving line, and people are coming through and consoling them and stuff. And, and I remember standing there. It's a long line because there's so many people. I'm kind of at the back moving my way up little by little. And uh, I remember thinking, um, what in the world am I going to say to his parents? You know, what, what comfort could I possibly offer to them? And I'm praying, you know, Lord, please, you know, give me something to say. And I finally got up and stood in front of his dad, and I had nothing. I just cried. I just cried and cried and cried, and I think I partly cried for myself, and I partly cried for him. And he looked at me with these eyes of love, and he kind of smiled a little bit, and he reached out, and he pulled me in like this like this strong guy with big hands. He pulls me in, and he hugged me tighter than he had ever hugged me, and he whispered into my ear. He said, Brad, it's going to be okay. He said, Brad, we're going to get through this. And I'm thinking, I'm supposed to be comforting him, (laughs) and he's comforting me. This man who lost his only son, and he has this heart of compassion. And now looking back, you know, some 20-some years later, I realized the incredible mercy of God to comfort this man, that he would have enough comfort coming out of him to bless me in that moment. And I praise God for the comfort that he gave to that man and to that family. That's the only way that he could have had mercy and compassion for me who suffered the most terrible kind of loss, and yet he had warmth and love and compassion for me. Friends, we serve the God of all comfort. We serve the God of all comfort who comfort us so that we might comfort other people. And one of the questions that we need to ask is, how, do, how does God know and how can we be sure 
that our God is the God of comfort? And the answer is this, friends. Uh, God the Father knows exactly what it's like to lose a son. Because the Father sent the Son into the world to die for you and rise again that you may have eternal life in his name. <laughs> Friends, understand this. The God of heaven is acquainted with your suffering. God knows what it's like to have the worst kind of loss, the worst kind of grief. You know, the story says that on the cross, Jesus is hanging there, he's dying, and the Father turns his face away in grief, in hurt, in anxiety, and in, in anger, in all of the emotion that we can imagine because he's taken on our sin so that we might live forever and ever. 